Hi, I'm Michael G. Williams, and welcome to Social Distancing Radio. I'm a novelist, and a reader and friend asked if I would read from my work as something they might find comforting and familiar amidst the uncertainty and anxiety we're experiencing from multiple sources in 2020. As of this opening, I've read Perishables, the first book of my five-book vampire and urban fantasy series, The Withrow Chronicles, published by Falstaff Books, aka falstaffbooks.com. If you'd like to pick up a copy for yourself, head over to bit.ly, that's bit.ly, slash perishables link. Now I'm reading from my short stories and other works, and occasionally I'll invite on a writer friend for special episodes called Public Domain Radio. Thanks for listening. Thanks for coming to Social Distancing Radio. Uh, Introduce yourself. Well, I'm Missy Massey. I am an author. I write about pirates and magic. I also write about the West that never was. And I'm an editor. I have been um, an editor of the Weird Wild West from Eastbeck Books and Lawless Lands, Tales of the Weird Frontier from Falstaff Press. And I am also an acquisitions editor with Lore Seekers Press. Nice. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> trying to keep busy <laughs> yeah uh where can find where can people find you online they can find me online at mistymassy.com. i'm also on facebook as misty massey i'm dressed like a pirate in case you run into another misty massey i'm the pirate <laughs> on the beach <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> and i'm on twitter and I will, I will warn people, Twitter is where I do my politicizing. So if you don't want to read about politics, maybe don't find me on Twitter. I'm much more cheerful and, and happy-go-lucky on Facebook. So. That's a big mood. I feel that. I think uh, anybody who knows me on Twitter knows that that's where I am loudly political. Yep. And that's just the way it is. Well, and my parents are not on Twitter. So. Ah, okay. <laughs> So I can be a little more political on Twitter than I can on Facebook because I just got tired of saying things on Facebook and then my mom coming and saying, young lady. And yeah, me young, right? I know that feeling. Believe me. My parents were briefly on Facebook for like three days and then decided it was not for them. That was years and years and years ago. And, uh, and, but there was like a three day period where I, had my default settings on Facebook to only share with a group called all friends except hometown. So, Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what are you going to be reading for us today? Well, the first thing I'm going to be reading is the beginning of one of my very favorite short stories of all time, the cask of Amontillado by Edgar Allan Poe. Um, (laughs) I'm excited. I love it so much. I do too. I do too. I'm, I'm such a Scorpio revenge is totally my thing. So (laughs) 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 the story has always pleased me. (laughs) Definitely love it. But, um, and do you want to know what else I'm going to read at this sure. time? Sure, okay. yeah. Um, I'm actually going to read the beginning of a short story of mine called The Cask of Amarillo, mm. which was written in honor of the Poe story. Um, when I went, I was going to uh, RavenCon one year, some years back, 
and they were it was a uh, a year that was um one of edgar Allan post birthday years and they had all the writers signed up to be recorded reading various short stories and i was reading a montillado well when i received the schedule um a few days ahead of the con i realized that whoever had made it out had written the cask of amarillo in my spot instead and it pinged a, a short story in my head that follows the kind of the setup of a Montillado, but is different. So I'm going to read the mm -hmm. first part of that as well. Ah, oh, that sounds fantastic. Thank you. So, so you want me to get started? Yeah, go for it. Okay. There, are f there is few, possibly zero rules on this. <laughs> so you do them in whatever order you want. You do whatever you want. You do however much of them you want, and it is all good. It's crazy time. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, then I will get started. This is, of course, The Cask of Amontillado by Edgar Allan Poe. The thousand injuries of Fortunato I had borne as best I could, but when he ventured upon insult, I vowed revenge. You who so well know the nature of my soul will not suppose, however, that I gave utterance to a threat. At length, I would be avenged. This was a point definitively settled, but the very definitiveness with which it was resolved precluded the idea of risk. I must not only punish, but punish with impunity. A wrong is unredressed when retribution overtakes its redresser. It is equally unredressed when the avenger fails to make himself felt as such to him who has done the wrong. It must be understood that neither by word nor deed had I given Fortunato cause to doubt my good will. I continued, as was my wont, to smile in his face, and he did not perceive that my smile now was at the thought of his immolation. He had a weak point, this Fortunato, although in other regards he was a man to be respected and even feared. He prided himself on his connoisseurship in wine. I was skillful in the Italian vintages myself, and bought largely whenever I could. It was about dusk one evening during the supreme madness of the carnival season that I encountered my friend. He accosted me with excessive warmth, for he had been drinking much. The man wore motley. He had on a tight-fitting party-striped dress, and his head was surmounted by the conical cap and bells. I was so pleased to see him that I thought I should never have done wringing his hand. I said to him, My dear Fortunato, you are luckily met. How remarkably well you're looking today. I have received a pipe of what passes for a Montillado, and I have my doubts. How, said he, a Montillado, a pipe, impossible, and in the middle of the carnival. I have my doubts, I replied, and I was silly enough to pay the full Amontillado price without consulting you in the matter. You were not to be found, and I was fearful of losing a bargain. Amontillado, I have my doubts. Amontillado and I must satisfy them. Amontillado! As you are engaged, I am on my way to Lucchese. If anyone has a critical turn, it is he. Lucchese cannot tell Amontillado from Sherry. And yet some fools will have it that his taste is a match for your own. Come, let us go. Whither? To your vaults. Oh, my friend, no. I will not impose upon your good nature. I perceive you have an engagement. I have no engagement. Come. Oh, my friend, no, it's not the engagement, but the severe cold with which I perceive you are afflicted. The vaults are insufferably damp. 
they are encrusted with nitre. Let us go nevertheless. The cold is merely nothing. Amontillado. You have been opposed upon, and as for Lucchese, he cannot distinguish Sherry from Amontillado. Thus speaking, Fortunato possessed himself of my arm. Putting on a mask of black silk, and drawing a roclair closely about my person, I suffered him to hurry me to my palazzo. There were no attendants at home. They had absconded to make merry in honor of the time. I had told them that I should not return until the morning, and had given them explicit orders not to stir from the house. These orders were sufficient, I well knew, to ensure their immediate disappearance, one and all, as soon as my back was turned. I took from their sconces two flambeaux, and giving one to Fortunato, bowed him through several suites of rooms to the archway that led into the vaults. I passed down a long and winding staircase, requesting him to be cautious as he followed. We came at length to the foot of the descent and stood together on the damp ground of the catacombs of the Montresors. The gait of my friend was unsteady, and the bells upon his cap jingled as he strode. The pipe, said he, it is farther on, said I, but observe the white webwork which gleams from these cavern walls. He turned toward me and looked into my eyes with two filmy orbs that distilled the room of intoxication. Nitre, he asked at last. Nitre, I replied. How long have you had that cough? <coughs> my poor friend found it impossible to reply for many minutes. It's nothing, he said at last. Come, I said with decision. We will go back. Your health is precious. You are rich, respected, admired, beloved. You are happy as once I was. You are a man to be missed. For me it is no matter. We will go back. You'll be ill and I cannot be responsible. Enough, he said. The cough is a mere nothing. It will not kill me. I shall not die of a cough. True, I replied. <laughs> and I'll stop right there. Mm. <laughs> Oh, I love that. Okay. One of the <laughs> things I love in that story is the way that Edgar Allan Poe has such a great sense of humor. He does. Such a, a dark, but it's still, yeah. I, I love that story because the man, the, the narrator is telling it as if this is just the most natural thing in the world to plan someone's demise because he was a jerk. <laughs> 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 You are an ass and I'm going to kill you now. Oh, <laughs> you know, it's, oh my God. It's hilarious. So it really is. It's so funny and it's so well done. And like all the little human nature touches, like him saying that he told his servants they weren't allowed to leave that knew that way he knew they'd be gone the second he was his back turned. Like that's almost Stephen King, you know, in terms of like the little like observations of human nature or Anne Rice. She's really good at that stuff too. Oh, yeah. And like that kind of thing where you just like, he just immediately paints a picture of who these people are and we all get it, you know, we do. And it's funny. Um, I read this, the book I actually read from belonged to my parents and I read it, the short stories in it um, when I was, I don't know, eight or nine and I know, right? I, I, I don't know why my mother thought it was okay. <laughs> but um, but I, I remember reading it when I was very young and loving all the creepy short stories, but not getting those moments. And so <laughs> it was fun to be able to read them again as an adult and, and to get those, that dark humor of his that, that as a child, you just don't understand because, you know, 
you haven't dealt with servants yet or <laughs> yeah, yeah. whatever. So, Oh, that's so magnificent. Thank uh, you. Thank you for reading that also. You read really well. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Um, so what do you want to read next? Well, next I'm going to read from my short story. Um, let's see. Where is it? Ah, there it is. My short story, The Cask of Amarillo. Mm-hmm. which um as i mentioned was um the it was um inspired by this short story after seeing a mistake on the con schedule right. and um so it's so it's similar to the uh to the cask of amontillado but set in um the west during the gold gold rush so uh. okay so Let's see. So the Cask of Amarillo. Lucky held court most nights in the red eye. It wasn't because anyone liked him all that much. He was the only man in town with any real money, and he lorded it over the rest of us like an old-time baron with his serfs. But even that wouldn't have bothered us over much. No, the reason no one wanted to be anywhere near Lucky was his way of poking fun at another man's hard fortune. Nothing pleased him better than flinging barbs disguised as jokes, at anyone who wandered close enough to attract his attention. If the man had been armed with real weapons instead of words, the floor of the red eye would have been soaked through with blood. I'd never been a regular customer of the red eye myself. For one thing, I never had a spare dollar to waste on beer. For another, I had a pretty wife at home waiting. But pretty only lasted so long once she realized the claim wasn't going to shower us in gold like I'd promised. Money got tight, the fighting got nasty, and Becky packed up to take the train east back to her mother. After she was gone, our cabin was dead silent, except for the harsh words we'd exchanged still ringing in my heart. I needed a drink. I promised myself I'd have only one beer and go home before Lucky showed up. But before I'd drunk half the glass, it started to rain, torrential sheets of water lit by flashes of lightning every two minutes. Walking home seemed dangerous and I decided to wait out the storm. Before I knew how late it was, in came Lucky, rain dripping off the edges of his black leather hat and a lit cheroot in his mouth. He scanned the room like a gambler, looking for the perfect mark. I ducked my head and turned my eyes away, but it was too late. He found me. Rich man, found any more gold in that claim yet? He pulled one of the saloon girls close to him. Did you know, sweet thing, my friend Rich Man here is a prospector. First day on his claim, he found himself a gold nugget the size of a strong man's fist. Come running into my store to cash it in. But guess what? The girl giggled. She'd heard the joke a thousand times already. Everyone had. Wasn't gold at all. It's a big old chunk of pyrite. Hell, you should have seen his face. He slapped his thigh, bellowing his laughter. Rich man wasn't so rich after all. My name is Richmond, as Lucky knew good and well. That blasted nickname was part of his entertainment. Sure, I'd been a fool to get so excited about what I'd found, but no one deserves to have his stupid mistakes hashed and rehashed. Stops being funny the third or fourth time around. My mistake had happened almost seven months ago. Any other man would have let it go within a week, but not Lucky. He didn't even care that no one else in the place laughed. The rest of the men at the bar kept their eyes down like whipped dogs. They might pity me, but not a one would stand up against Lucky. Any other night, I'd have taken the ribbing, finished my drink, and left, the bitter sound of Lucky's laughter echoing down the street behind me. 
could have been how Becky left things, or it could have been the half-formed plan for leaving town that was percolating in my mind anyway. Whatever drove me, suddenly I'd had enough. It's just a seed of an idea, a way to shut his mouth. I thought I'd hit him where he lived, try to sway his attention and then let it drop, just in time to make him look like a fool. I'd pay a hard price if I planned to stick around, but since I was leaving, it didn't matter. Good cigar, Lucky? Two or three heads swiveled to stare at me. Hardly anyone began a conversation with Lucky. He preferred to do all the talking. He took a drag off the black cheroot, held it between his fingers, blowing smoke into my face. Took everything I had not to cough. Smells good. Not as good as the Amarillo, though. He wrinkled his forehead, and I felt just the slightest tickle of panic. What the hell was I doing? I should have thought this through. I couldn't walk out now. He'd follow till he got the whole story, and if I admitted I was messing with him, he'd use that until the day I died. In for a penny, I was. Lucky had come out west with dreams of starting his own tobacco empire. That's why they called him Lucky. Not because he'd accomplished what he hoped to. Flea beetles destroyed most of his very first crop, doing enough damage that he couldn't recover. He'd been able to sell the land, though, to a potato farmer and use that money to open the first general store in town. He never tried planting again, but tobacco remained his passion. He imported the finest cigars he could get his hands on, fancy new blends from back east, rolled in tender leaves as smooth as a baby's cheek, smoking them as if the Lord above had gifted them to him personally. He loved to blather on about the texture of this one or the finish of that. I know you've heard of the Amarillo, I said, putting on my best face. You being such a connoisseur and all. He squinted, not sure whether to keep listening to me. He smiled a little, trying to look friendly, but only managing a sinister grimace. There's always something new under the sun, as the poet said. Don't make it worth knowing about. You're probably right. I waved a hand and headed for the door. My old uncle sent me a cask of the Amarillo and said it was special, that I should save it for when my first child's born or some such. Lucky laughed, turning to the rest of the room. And what does rich man's dotting old uncle know about fine tobacco, hey? Joe Connor cleared his throat. I heard his uncle was foreman on a tobacco farm in Georgia. Ain't that right, Rich? If there was a man in town hated Lucky the way I did, it was likely Joe Connor. Lucky dearly loved to go on about Joe's son burning their house down when he was a baby. The fact that Joe's son lost his eyesight in the fire didn't seem to bother Lucky one bit. I admit I was surprised at Joe stepping up. Maybe there was something special in the rain that night. Made us all a little braver. That's right, Joe. But Lucky don't want to hear about it. I kept walking toward the door. Tell you what, rich man, you tell me about this tobacco of yours, and I'll tell you if it's worth dumping down the creek. I had him. <laughs> oh my God, I love that too. Oh, my God, that's magnificent. Ah, thank you. <laughs> thank you. It's not... Um, it's not published anywhere yet. I'm still looking for the right outlet for it. So, oh, that is great though. Like <laughs> the swapping tobacco in for the wine in an old West story is just like, that is perfection. Thank you. And you did exactly the same. You, like you exhibited exactly the same ability to just like paint us the picture in, in two words, the way that Poe did. You can immediately picture the bad guy you can immediately you know you mentioned his black hat and his cheroot instantly you've got the whole picture 
Oh, you know, and we've all known somebody like that that just really needed to get that comeuppance. <laughs> like, like immediately went there and got us exactly that person. You know, oh, that was fantastic. Thank you. I'm so glad you liked it. Oh, that was wonderful. <laughs> I like. I'm like really feel privileged to have gotten to hear that. That is my. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, that's so good. Um, so where can people find you online again? I know I asked you at the beginning, but I always ask at the beginning and at the end. So no, no problem. Um, MistyMassey.com is my website mm-hmm. and um, I am Misty Massey on Facebook and I'm Misty Massey on Twitter. And, and both of them, the picture is me uh, dressed like a pirate on a beach in case, cause there are other Misty Masseys floating around out there. So cool. And is there any place that you particularly prefer that I link to for your books? Um, my, uh, my website is best. Okay, cool. Yeah. I'll make sure that there's a link for that in the show notes. So the people listening can go to the show notes in their preferred app okay. and there will be a link right there and you should be able to go right to it. That sounds wonderful. Thank you so much for doing this. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. This was just absolutely delightful. I, <laughs> I, I, I love getting to do these because I've gotten to hear so many writers that I just love read their work and talk about like other work that they really love. And there's nothing I like better. So, well, I was, I was delighted to be invited to be a part of this because I'm, I'm the same. I have so many old stories that still charm me. And oh, um, yeah. so it's so much fun to share all that. Yeah. I, uh, I let listeners vote on what I would read as my like ongoing public domain thing. And so right now we're in the middle of Dracula. Ooh. Yeah. So that's, that's been a lot of fun. I haven't read that in ages. I'm, I'm going to have to listen to that one. Hey, so. <laughs> feel free any old time. I will. Um, well, thank you so much for being here. You are welcome to come back anytime and do this. I'd be delighted. Just let me know when it works for you. Oh, I will. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Michael. Thanks for listening. This podcast is released under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. The theme music is Bucked Contemporary Boom by Kara Square, available under a Creative Commons Attribution License at ccmixter.org. <laughs>